Thank you so much for joining the Gen Church Wa podcast. We are a community of everyday people committed to expanding God's family together because of Jesus for generations to come. This month, we are taking a small break from our master class series. We hope you've been enjoying that. We'll pick that back up in January. For the next four weeks, we will be orienting ourselves around Jesus through Advent. So over the next four weeks, you'll hear us talk about hope, love, joy, and peace. And maybe you are like me, who never heard of Advent growing up. I'm so excited to share this liturgical, historical practice with you. And don't forget, we have a lot of activities coming up around Generation Church that we would love for you to be a part of. Head over to our website, mygenerations.church, to sign up and see those events. We hope that you enjoy today's teaching. Today's scripture reading is from Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 4. Listen now for the word of the Lord. This is my servant, I strengthen him. This is my chosen one, I delight in him. I have put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not cry out or shout or make his voice heard in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed and he will not put out a smoldering wick. He will faithfully bring justice. He will not grow weak or be discouraged until he has established justice on earth. The coasts and islands will wait for his instructions. For the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. The word Advent means coming or arrival. And the four Sundays before Christmas are when the church stops to reflect on the coming of Jesus Christ as God made flesh, human. Advent comes with the ultimate covenant context, with the birth of Emmanuel, God with us, arrived the new covenant spoken of through the prophets. One that he would write on human hearts rather than stone tablets. It had been 400 years since God's last prophet had spoken to the people of Israel. 400 years is a long time without a word from the Lord. 400 years. Had Yahweh forgotten his people? Surely not. Times had been bad before. War and defeat and exile. But 400 years, that's a long time to wait. It's painful to wait that long. Enduring one conqueror after another. What of David's long vacant throne. Did the Lord not see the suffering of his people or hear the cries of their oppression? 
but hope. Hope is the twin sister of faith. As long as there is faith, hope remains. And so we see that faith is the essential component. Faith in the faithful one, the one who promised is faithful. The one who makes and keeps covenant faithfully does not forget. Faithfulness, I'm sorry, forgetfulness is the path of empty, useless suffering. Forgetting who promised, forgetting what was promised, forgetfulness brings doubt, and doubt can poison faith and sicken hope. Suffering without hope brings despair. The color of Advent candles is purple. For penitence and fasting, two kinds of suffering, as well as for royalty. Yahweh's promise of a new covenant called for the people of the old covenant to wait with a faith that would overcome doubt and strengthen hope. And this hope did not disappoint them, but it certainly was purple, this hope. 400 years of purple dreams of a royal son of David while they lived a purple recurring nightmare of suffering and abuse, which were followed by periods of penitence and fasting. Hope is purple because Emmanuel, God with us, came to inhabit a human body so that he could suffer with us and for us as the suffering servant, as Yahweh's new covenant. And we are called to be suffering servants as we grow more like Christ. That is why hope is purple, because waiting is hard and requires faith. And faith perseveres because it remembers Yahweh's chesed for his beloved. And faith that remembers while it waits and suffers never loses hope. As we light the first candle of Advent, let the fire represent sister faith. <laughs> there we go. And the candle represents Sister Hope. And it dispels the darkness with bright remembrance of Chesed and kindles the spirit of expectancy in our hearts. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you, and we thank you for the gift of your Son, God with us. Rekindle the hope in our hearts. Let your light never go out in us. Bless us in this time. Help us to be faithful as you are faithful. 
In Jesus' name, amen. For some of you, the Advent candle lighting has been a part of your Christian Christmas tradition for many years. Others of you might be confused at what just happened. You've never been a part of a church that has done exactly what we just did. For most of my life, I've been in the latter of those two categories. Yes, you can go ahead and make your jokes about me being confused. Get those out of the way right now. I have been confused at points most of my life. But confused in particular about moments like this. Confused about the idea or the practice of an Advent candle or even two, to use the word Advent. I did not grow up in a tradition that used that word, nor did something like this. I didn't grow up in a tradition that said formal prayers, did candle lightings, or had regular readings of Scripture allowed from the platform. Now, Generations Church isn't affiliated with any denomination, and you may wonder what influenced us to do this. When we gather together, read scripture aloud, and then even in a season like this, light a candle. Let me give you two primary influences, because I believe it speaks to who we are and what this season is all about for us around Generations Church. The first influence comes from the study of church history. As we seek to expand God's family as Generation Church, that's our vision to be a community of everyday people committed to expanding God's family together because of Jesus for generations to come. As we seek to expand God's family, we must remember we have a family heritage and a history that spans back hundreds of years, back to Jesus, where people have passed on the faith. They have passed on the scriptures. They have talked about the suffering servant, Savior, named Jesus. And so the practice of lighting a candle spans some of that time. In lighting this candle, we are publicly saying that we stand in a long line of Jesus followers who intend to follow him and pass on the faith. The second influence, which is more near and dear to my heart, is that of our present church family, the people of God who add to our expression of following Jesus here as Generations Church. And it should absolutely influence and bring about who we seek to be. So when Charles and Peggy over a year plus ago said, hey Kyle, have you ever thought about doing like an Advent candle lighting? I had a bewildered look on my face. What in the world are you talking about? I've never even heard such a thing. And Charles goes, well, I, I just figured that was, you know, you figured for whatever reason that wasn't something you're good. And I was like, no, you got to tell me more. I, I don't understand what you mean. I, I've seen it, but I, it had never occurred to me to include it in our gathering. And the reason this is near and dear to my heart is because as people um, help this become their family, as Generation Church becomes your family, we want you to know that you can speak into what Generations Church is and can be. That we need your background, your stories, and your experience to help us be the best version of who God is leading us to be. So when they step up and say, hey Kyle, we think this can be a great opportunity for us to focus on who we are, 
whose we are and how we stand on a long line of followers of Jesus, my response was, absolutely we need to do this. This is an essential part of what it means to be a part of generations, to, to include a level of formal Advent practices to say because it speaks to the traditions and heritage of others. So I hope as I share that, that if you hear nothing, me say nothing else as we get into Isaiah today, you hear this, that we need you, your total self, who you are in Generations Church, in our family, because you bring out the best in us. And in fact, when you bring about things like maybe the suggestion of an Advent candle, you're able to speak and shape someone else's spiritual journey. So over the last year of prayer and discussion and seeking to understand each other, we decided to include this candle lighting as a part of our Advent series. See, just because it wasn't my tradition of faith doesn't mean as God adds to our family here that we cannot include other practices to help remind us of our family heritage. Because the Christian faith is a received faith. It's not one that we intrinsically inherit, but is one that is passed on to us, that we freely and willingly pass on to others. And that's what this season helps us focus in on. This, this Advent word, I'm going to get to that here in a moment, what that means, and Peggy teased that for a little bit. It means coming or arrival. And what it means is as we look forward to Jesus and as we stand in between times, that when we have received faith from God, we are to pass that on to others, which means we need our total selves involved in the process. So Advent, as Peggy said, means coming or arrival. And the purpose of Advent is preparation for the arrival. It's arrival of the second coming. Advent is the word we use to talk about celebrating both what happened and what will happen. Christ's first coming and looking forward to his second coming. It's this in-between time of sorts. We aren't the only God followers who have lived during an in-between time. One of the ways God's people made it through an in-between time was hanging on to the promises of God delivered through God's word by the prophets. Let me give you an example from the Old Testament. That's where we find ourselves today in Isaiah chapter 42. It was a word spoken to God's people to help them be present right where they are and hang on God's promises in a time of confusion, discouragement, division, isolation. You could throw a lot of different adjectives, and I would say many of them could describe how we might feel today. We want things to be better than they are, but we find ourselves as we look at our own lives and the world around us, not quite as we would want them maybe to be. And so to this, Isaiah speaks about a servant, saying, this is my servant, I strengthen him. This is my chosen one, I delight in him. I have put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations he will not cry out or shout or make his voice heard in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed. He will not put out a smoldering wick. He will faithfully bring justice. He will not grow weak or be discouraged until he has established justice on earth. The coasts and islands 
will wait for his instruction. The prophet Isaiah spoke to God's family called Israel thousands of years ago when they were wondering where in the midst of a broken world God was. The promise that they would become a great nation and that a rescuer known as a Messiah would come and rule. And that hadn't happened. In fact, they hadn't lived up to the vision of being God's servant in the world that God had tasked them with. Rather than live in a relationship with God, they decided to take matters into their own hands. When the consequence of exile occurred, we find the people complaining. In Isaiah chapter 40, just before this, their claim is that God has ignored us and our trouble. And God's response is that exile was judgment, not neglect. And two, for Israel's sake, God raised up Persia to conquer Babylon. Israel's confusion should be that they should not they shouldn't be confused. They should understand that their God is the true king of history. But Israel is still rebellious. They have something in their heart that won't quite let them totally surrender to God's will and his ways. They want to take matters into their own hands. They want to make a life for themselves that they think is better than the way that God could give them. I'm glad that we don't have any of those problems today. <laughs> exactly. So in this moment, when God says, hey, I'm trying to get you to understand, to trust me, to live in relationship with me and express that to the world, to be who you are. Instead of doing that, they don't turn and trust God. And so God speaks to Isaiah to give this message to these people as they lived in a land that they did not recognize and wasn't their own, and as they tried to make sense of what was happening to them and their world. He talks about a servant, one to come. There is expectation of the coming one. As God's people were abused by power-hungry kings, led astray by self-centered prophets, and lulled by apathy, in the midst of this crucible, what God wanted to accomplish was accomplished. There was a longing among some for God to raise up a new king who could show them how to be God's people. They yearn for God's presence in their midst. And God's response to this sorts of longing, I'd like to point out just a few observations about this text. But what he talks about is the servant who comes to satisfy the longing of the people's heart. First, the word justice is repeated three times. I find that so interesting that in describing the one to come, describing the one who is going to satisfy their soul, who's going to show them how to live, that the word justice is used. See, justice is more than legal correctness, the right verdict in a court case. The word usage in the Bible can be traced back to even Exodus, where God provides the blueprints for human existence, meaning that justice isn't just legal correctness, it's total living. It's well-being. It's wholeness. It's living in connection to God and living in right connection with others in all areas of life, which means when justice is acted, 
when you do justice, justice is restorative, not punitive. Sin itself, the consequences of choosing what is right and wrong in your own eyes and the ensuing consequences of making that choice, the sin, the consequences of that are punitive enough. No, justice is restorative, meaning true justice seeks to make whole. This wholeness includes that relationship with God and relationship with others because all humans are equal before God and have the right to be treated with dignity and fairness no matter who they are. No matter who you are, you have the right to be treated with dignity and fairness. And so when we seek justice, when this suffering servant seeks to bring justice, he is after restoring you back to being fully human. Not allowing you to settle for being something lesser than you are. And any time we settle for sin, we settle for a lesser version of humanity. So true justice enacts or brings about this reality. And sometimes we have to look at the inverse of injustice to begin to understand what true justice is. See, injustice is more than political dysfunction. It is a spiritual evil, a denial of God. And in the whole length of human history, there have been flashes of brilliance where justice is levied, but they never last. It shows how we're constantly redefining good and evil to our own advantage at the expense of others. Our social contracts are fundamentally unjust because we always want to one-up each other in our own natural state. We believe that we can build a better world on our own. But in our finite nature, there are scenarios we will never be able to account for. Therefore, true and lasting change will not come from our own self-assertion. It will only come from the gentle servant of the Lord. For this is what Isaiah means when he says, the bruised weed will not be broken. Or the, the wick that is smoldering will not be extinguished. See, the suffering servant brings about justice, not by bullying, but by suffering. Not by imposing demands, but by living the very demands that God says is right and good and ultimately absorbs our mistakes into himself. He lives in perfect relationship with God and us, so proving and showing us how to be truly human. See, how justice will be carried out amongst the people should not cause the weary to break should not cause the weary to break. And in this case, the own lack of justice in the people of God is telling. Their own propensity is to take matters into their own hands is very telling. Because one will come that says, I know you long for things to be right. I know it seems like you put your hand to the plow, that you work hard, and nothing quite turns out how you exactly hope it to be how you want it to be. It seems like you advocate. It seems like you plea. It seems like you, 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 you extend forgiveness and then they, people return with retaliation or evil or anger. Where are you, God? And in the midst of that, Isaiah talks about one who will show us, who will give us hope, who will model for us to do the things that we can't even do ourselves about a future servant king. And that servant 
king do what we cannot do and what Israel repeatedly failed to do and what we even fail to do. When we are not enough, there is one who shows us how to live and is enough. See, through the suffering servant king, God creates a family. That where you don't have to be defined by your actions and what you do to enter into that family. No, you are defined on that family by who the suffering servant king is. And how he builds a family of all nations, bringing hope for a renewed creation. Because I think that's what our heart longs for. is for things to be made right in all areas of life. It's frustrating when you work really hard and it doesn't turn out the way you hope. When you work really hard, you try to make the sales and the sales don't come through. When you apply for jobs, you do everything right on the application and you don't get the job. Or you try to help the person, you overextend yourself, you give and you give and you give and they never seem to respond back. In the midst of that, there is one who measures up and who fulfills the longing of our heart. See, in referring to a future person, Isaiah's message to the people of God was both of judgment and of hope. The rebellion from God will come at a cost, and we all rebel. We don't live as we should, but there is also hope that God will provide a future king from the line of David, and therefore they should have hope. We toss that word hope around, but biblical hope Christian hope is not just simply optimism. It's based on a person. See, optimism is about choosing to see in any situation how circumstances could work out for the best. But Christian hope isn't focused on circumstances. In fact, hopeful people in the Bible often recognize there are no evidence that things will get better. But you choose hope anyways. See, so it's God's past faithfulness that motivates hope for the future. You look forward, you move forward by trusting in nothing other than God's character. The object of your hope provides grounds for your true hope. So when you are faced with challenges, when things don't work out as you, as you, they, you think they should, your hope is not based on your circumstances. Your hope is based on the character of a God who loves and moves towards us. And we must look to the one whose character is identified with the very servant that the prophet Isaiah spoke about. So the New Testament and the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew's account of Jesus' life in chapter 12, quotes this exact passage about a suffering servant king who when people are weary and worn out, moves towards them. And he ascribes this passage to Jesus when Jesus was healing sick people. He gave suffering people their lives back. He didn't use his success with them to take advantage of them or to promote himself. There's no destructive swagger, no brutal grasping, but a gentle servant bringing forth justice to the nations, to all. So the Gospel of Matthew quotes Isaiah and ascribes this passage to Jesus. And Jesus is the embodiment of justice 
showing us what it means to be restorative through being loved by the Father and filled with the Spirit. And this right living doesn't just travel towards the Father and with the Spirit. It overflows into other relationships. This is why Jesus is hope for the hurting. As a picture of Jesus' refusal to fight or shout against the Pharisees, Matthew, citing this passage, says that Jesus will not argue or shout, and no one will hear his voice in the streets. Jesus is a meek and gentle, but he's strong and courageous because he is strong and courageous. Not meek and gentle doesn't mean that he shrinks back, but he moves forward towards you, but he does so in such a way that he will not break a bruised reed. So when you are about to feel like you are at your wits, and when you don't have enough, when you are not sure you could get out of bed in the morning and let your feet hit the ground, we're not sure if you can move towards that person in the relationship, when you're not sure you want to show up to work, God moves towards you to those who are spiritually broken, that those are so bruised by the sin of themselves and also of the world and its effects. When you feel like you are unable to stand up under the weight, Jesus doesn't just offer a hand to lift you up. He gets down there with you and picks you up. That's is the beautiful suffering servant king who brings justice and rightness to our lives. Richard Sibbs, the Puritan pastor who wrote the bruised reed based off this passage, this classic book, he says, are you bruised? Be of good comfort. He calls you. Conceal not your wounds, open all before him. Go to Christ. There is more mercy in him than sin in you. See, when you feel like you've missed the mark, when you feel like I just can't quite get it right, and even those moments when your chest is puffed out and you feel like, man, I can get it right and good, you know for a while that that doesn't always last, and sometimes we have to do that to try to internally motivate us to keep us going. But we know that those moments of pride and puffing up and we can do this and those motivational speeches and those Instagram quotes, they just don't seem to last. They don't provide the satisfaction to keep us going. You can listen to all the motivational speeches from your gurus or from your famous football coaches. I don't care, but it is never enough. Because as this world kind of comes at us as things fall apart, as we look around and see death and sin, we have a tendency to wonder, where are you, God? And in the midst of that question, he says, I am here. I came in the person of Jesus. And so in this in between time. As you recognize and look back at what has happened, we can look forward to what will happen. Because this is the time that we live in, between the times, again, when Jesus will come back and he will wipe away every tear, when he will mend all broken things, 
when he will right all the wrongs. When the injustice seems to prevail, he will make all things just. And he will vindicate the righteous. And so that hope in between times provides us strength when we are weary, but hope also motivates us to work. Not just aimless activity, not to just punch a clock and put in your nine to five, or just to collect a paycheck. No, to work towards building a better world while displaying God's character. Let me say it another way. To work is to bring justice. And for some of you, things just got way more complicated. Because as I have said that word justice, there are all kinds of baggage and things that creep in. That, that, we have been de- that word has been defined in insidious ways. And so let me say once again, at its core, justice is wholeness, working for the dignity and value of all people, moving towards a human existence where all are cared for in the same way God cares for us, and that includes spiritual wholeness, making sure people live in right relationship with God, and that spills into every area of life, and working towards this starts right here in our own community. Hope counters the paralyzing fear of what if I get it wrong? What if I step on someone's toes? I'm not even sure I know where to start. Hope in Christ. Looking towards Him. Knowing that He is working for the good of those who love Him. Knowing that He wants to bring about justice. The world will respond to Him gives us courage in the face of fear. See, the old covenant people, Israel, carried forward the seed for a Messiah, and the purity of people was necessary for the preservation of those people. But we, those who have been baptized into Christ, who have that new life, carry forward the spirit of the Messiah. So it motivates us to work. But it also motivates us to wait. See, biblical hope is an optimism based on the odds. It's a choice to wait for God to bring about a future that's as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. See, Christian hope looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward, and so we wait. Waiting is not inaction. Waiting is not being passive. Waiting means that we receive our direction from God. That we look and we listen for Him to speak and for us to move. That sometimes that means we just want things to change. So we just go and do a lot of stuff and we end up causing more havoc and breaking things. But when we wait for the Spirit of move and direction for us, we will always find ourselves bringing wholeness where there is broken. We take our cue from Jesus. And so this season, as we prepare to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ in his first coming, in the anticipation of Christ the King in his second, what we do is doubly focus on the past and the future. We work and we wait. We expect God to show up. We move and we listen. We listen 
and we move. We spend time together. We quiet our souls. We ask God to speak. And we respond. Individually and corporately. We affirm that Christ has come. That he is present in the world today. And that he will come again in power. See, while those before Christ look forward to the restorative one, we look back and take our cue from the restorative one in hopes of total future restoration. See, we can have hope in this moment. I don't know where you're at, what's on your mind. You may be thinking about lunch afterwards. You may be thinking about your fantasy football score. You may be thinking about all the parties and the lists and the calendars. You may be thinking about, man, man, my kids have been going a little crazy lately. I, I'm struggling without a job. I, 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 I see someone in my life, and I'm not sure they're going down the right path. And we have all of these unanswered questions. We have all of these desires. And so in this moment, in this season, we can have confidence that God is on the move because He moved in the person and work of Jesus in his initial coming. And because of that promise, because that promise was fulfilled, we can work and we can wait for that second promise to be fulfilled when he comes back. And so church as generations, just imagine if during this season, while we've got a lot of activity, while we've got a lot of exciting things happen, we were also people who slowed down, who listened, who quiet our souls and respond. So our activity isn't needless or meaningless, but it's taking our cue from the God who gives us direction, from the one who wants to bring justice, from the one who the coasts and the islands will wait for his instruction. Let us pray. God, you are good. And I pray right now that as we wait for your return, we be people who move towards you, who take our cue from you, who work to bring about justice, God, but also know that you have made us just because of Jesus. You've made us right you have made us good by your love and your inclusion into your family. Thank you for that hope. Thank you for that promise. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to move into our time of response, and the band's going to come back up, and they're going to lead us in two final songs. Each and every week we have this moment of response to where we get to listen to God. God, the Holy Spirit, is present with us this morning as we worship, as we glorify Him, as we conversations with one another. And we just want to take a moment to respond to however God is leading each of us individually and collectively. There's a few ways in which you can respond around the room right now. And one of those ways is by taking communion. Over on our response tables, we have communion set up over there where we take the juice and remember Jesus' blood that was poured out. We take the bread and remember his body that was broken. We remember the sacrifice that Jesus made as God moved towards us. 
to right the relationship with us. Another way in which you could respond this morning is through giving, through generous living, through giving in that way to the vision of generations as we seek to live out God's family and expand his kingdom, expand that family. You can give to that um, through the giving envelopes you'll find on that table by going to our website and checking that out there. And finally, an easy way for you to respond this morning is maybe by just taking a step and filling out a gen card saying, on the back side of it, you'll see a place where there's um, a space for prayer to let us know how we can pray for you and with you as a, a community that seeks out to live what it truly means to be the family of God, to pray with one another, to care and support in the times of need, and even to celebrate the praises in life as God is at work in our community. So this morning, as, as we respond and worship together, let's stand and do that now.
Amazing grace. Come on, yeah. This is our 
Amen. Give God a hand. He's worthy. Amen. 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 Awesome. Before you head out, I want to let you know of a few things that are coming up. And I know this season, as we, we all probably know, holiday season, December is a busy time, full of activity, full of a lot of things going on. The easiest way for you to stay in the loop and to know what's going on and how you can be a part of what's happening around here is through our website. So go to mygenerations.church, go bookmark it, save it, whatever you got to do, leave the tab open like my wife does on her phone where you leave those open all the time. That way you can keep going back to that. Hey, I'm going to call you out. It's okay. Wow. But hey, it's okay. We love each other. We can, we can push back and forth. Go ahead and have that pulled up so that you can know what's going on because we have a few things coming up. First thing I want to point out is our parent drop-in shop is this upcoming Saturday. It's a great opportunity for, yeah, I know some parents are really excited because it's four hours where they get to drop their kids. Maybe go do some holiday shopping, do some self-care, spend some time with their spouse or family. So feel free to go ahead and sign up for that. If you want to help out with it, let me know. Or if you got a family around you that's got some kids, tell them to get signed up and bring their kids to that. We got that coming up this coming Saturday. Also, I'm really excited for this. We did it last year. We're partnering with Santa's Posse again to help distribute 1,200 bags of food and toys to families in need around this Christmas. Yeah. I'm excited for that. We have two opportunities to help out Thursday night on December 16th. Let's see if I get my days right. And Sunday morning, December 19th. We have two opportunities to help out with that. Uh, The Thursday night is to help fill those lead Uh, the facilitation of filling those food uh, and toy bags. Uh, We'd love some help with that. And then Sunday morning, we're going to be passing those out to the delivery car, so you can help out with both of those. So get signed up for that because we have limited spots to help out there. And also, just want to let you know, we're starting our Advent series, and we have an Advent devotional to go along with it. So go on over to our website. You can download that and do that on your own time, in your own practice, in your everyday faith. Maybe you do it with someone. You do it by yourself every morning. But just a devotion to help you walk through this series of Advent to continue to remember Jesus and the reason why we worship him. Awesome. I'm glad you guys are here. Have a wonderful week. And do that on your own time, in your own practice, in your everyday faith. Oh